Welcome to the Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Carl Franklin. Carl is Executive Vice President of App VNext, a software development firm focused on modern technologies. Carl is a 20-plus year veteran of the software industry, co-host and founder of .NET Rocks, the first and most widely listened to podcast for .NET developers. Welcome, Carl. Glad to be here. Thanks very much. So uh, before we sort of jump into the meat of things, would you give our listeners maybe a little introduction to yourself, like tell them how you got started in the industry? Yeah, well, uh, you know, that was a concise bio that you read. I have been in the industry a long time. I actually got started at a tool vendor company for Visual Basic Tools. Actually, they were just starting Visual Basic Tools when I came on. It was Crescent Software in uh, Connecticut. And they were doing quick basic tools, believe it or not. But it was the same kind of stuff that you do today. You know, you had to like link them in and you had to do a little more command line than we're used to today. But, uh, and then they got into visual basic and they had a big suite of VBX controls. And then, and then I sort of, uh, started writing for then visual basic programmers journal, which became, um, a, which before was called basic pro magazine. And I wrote the Q&A column for that. And I wrote all sorts of articles and started speaking at VBits and that later became VS Live. And uh, then I started in 1994. <laughs> That's how old I am. 1994, a website. And nobody even heard of websites at that point. But it was called uh, Carl and Gary's Visual Basic homepage. And that was with uh, a friend of mine who worked for Apex Software. And they had the infrastructure to support a you know a website. So he basically set it up and showed me how to FTP in HTML files and edit them. And and then, you know, that became very popular. You know, then I became a regional director and I started a training company and I was doing stuff with .NET in the earliest days, even the betas of .NET. And uh, then I was teaching uh, ASP.NET classes and VBNet classes. And then, uh, of course, it just kind of snowballed from there. And then .NET Rocks started in 2002, a podcast before the word podcast was a word. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, by the time, you know, RSS and enclosure tags came around, I had a couple of hundred episodes. And so I was like the content to chew on when everybody needed content. And then coming from a background of... Uh, component vendors, I understood what advertisers wanted, and they were currently bemoaning the fact that the internet was eating their lunch and nobody was reading the magazines that they were spending all this money advertising in, and they needed a place to advertise. And I was like, come on over here. I got something for you. So (laughs) uh, I lived on ad revenue for a while and did more training and, um, you know, was learning a whole lot from the .NET Rocks audience and the RDs and the MVPs uh, and all of the the greatness that was going on in the .NET community. And I just kept going and going and writing and building 
and uh, doing projects. And eventually, I started App V Next from a, a newsletter that I sent out to the .NET Rocks listeners. And there was probably like 40,000 people on the list. And I said, and this is an opt-in list. And I said, hey, are you interested? And this is like about the time of HoloLens was getting really cool. It's like, hey, you guys, anybody interested in working on some really cool projects? You know, when they come along, I don't need 40-hour week salary developers. But if you've got a spare 20 hours a week or something like that and you want to work with me on some things, like 100 replies came back to this little text in, in a newsletter and I vetted about 33 or 34 of them. And of that, maybe 10 sort of stuck around. And we started Slack and talking on Slack. And they became our rock stars. And they've just blossomed. And we've, we've all uh, kept at it and done really well. So that's about as concise of a history of Carl that I can give you. You'd mentioned that you've kind of kept busy dabbling in a number of different items entertaining us all with .NET Rocks and providing music to code by. And of course, your, your latest incarnation, uh, Blazor Train. Clayton is also a big fan of Blazor, and we've done some live streaming, live coding of some Blazor projects. So we're uh, somewhat familiar with Blazor, but I um, wanted to see what, uh, what your experience has been, what, what you're seeing in the industry in these early Blazor days. Sure. Well, from the people who are head down in MVC, I see a lot of I saw a lot of skepticism at first. Especially, you know, when you would go to somebody with customers and say, Hey, any of your customers doing Blazor? And they like laugh at you. They'd be like, Are you kidding me? You know, we've we've spent 10 years on Angular and getting all our stuff and our projects. And every time a new <laughs> JavaScript framework comes out, we have to have an edict from God, you know, to make changes. And it's really hard. And, you know, we've invested millions of dollars in this JavaScript infrastructure. And now you want to throw it all away and you see sharp. And then I'm like, Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but um, you know, customers are are reluctant to switch lanes until they know without a, without a shadow of a doubt that this is going to stick around and it's stable and all that. So there's a lot of questions, you know, from people who, who have been developing for customers for years and especially in the JavaScript stacks, um, you know, what is this thing good enough? Is it strong enough? Do you think it's production ready and all that stuff? And what's really cool is I just heard... Uh, Mark Rendell delivering a talk at NDC online just a couple of days ago. And he's got some stuff that's like how you can piecemeal move a, um, a web forms application over to an MVC application without too much, you know, disruption. And then at the last, you know, at the last 10 minutes or five minutes, he's talking about Blazor because Blazor is a natural sort of drop in next you know way to get to .NET core from web forms it kind of has the same level of uh shall we say the high level approach and it hides a lot of of tech but that tech works really good and and I was really pleased to hear Mark say you know at first i thought it was all hype and you know that how could this possibly be so good and so abstracted at the same time and, you know, when you have high layers of abstraction, you usually give up power and control, but that's not the case with Blazor. And, and he said it, he said, I have to say that I was wrong. He said, this is so 
effing cool. I can't find anything wrong with it. I can't find anything wrong with the architecture. I can't find anywhere where it's going to fall down that isn't manageable. And uh, a guy like him saying that just really, you know, warms the cockles of my heart, man. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned web forms as well, because I know that Jeff Fritz has, has been working on some components that mimic at least the the style of the web forms controls that yeah. ease ease the adoption of Blazor by someone coming from web forms. Jeff Fritz is amazing. He he basically, he didn't write at all, but he organized this uh, repository, Friends of Fritz. And basically he got, you know, some input from this guy and he wrote some stuff and he got some input from the team. And they put together this community project that's sort of drop-in replacements, Blazor components for web forms controls with the same syntax and everything. So that when you take an ASPX page and you want to move it to a Blazor page, there's going to be minimal disruption. I mean, that's the theory anyway. And they're working towards completing all of the all of the components in web forms. And, and Mark Rendell mentioned that too. And I've actually interviewed Jeff about it, both on .NET Rocks and on Blazor Train. That's a very exciting project. I just have to say, there's so much web forms out there. How can you not have a project like this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So with, with Blazor, one of the things that has been semi up in the air has been the the application organization you know like with web forms not for the benefit but the community kind of just went to throw everything into the code behind and then call the database with mvc you know obviously that's a application organization pattern so it's kind of just given to you with react you know they had um redux and that was how you you would manage your your state and everything with Blazor, what are the trends that you've seen, and does it relate to anything else that somebody might be familiar with? Well, like, you know, it kind of reminds me of VB. When VB came out and everybody had forms they could drag and drop stuff on, and, you know, they just did the minimal kind of architecture to get things working and running, and that meant code behind button clicks and stuff like that. And Blazor's no different. You know, it's new and shiny, and the the uh, lure is to do that, you know, just to, to get it up running quickly. And I'm even guilty of showing demos on Blazor Train that do that just because I want people to understand what's going on, right? But it isn't prescriptive, you know, and there was a point in, in in the demos that we did in Blazor Train where I actually showed a proper architecture of, you know, on the API side, doing using uh, well-known return classes that sort of wrap uh, success, true or false, and, you know, a list of errors, and, you know, one for entities and one for a list of entities, and use generics, and then an API manager or a, or a data manager for that's reusable with generics, right? That has some nice link in there. So you don't have to write one for each type of data. And then on the client side, you've got a generic repository um, for API services that handles all the CRUD stuff that you can just say, I want a new API service of whatever. And then it fills in the rest. And of course you can customize that too. And, you know, that sort of really showed people just because you can do something quickly and and dirtily, if that's a word, (laughs) quick and dirty in uh, Blazor doesn't mean you should. And so if you're going into production with a Blazor application, you know, the same kind of good architectural principles apply. You don't want to repeat yourself. 
you don't want to you want separation of concerns and uh, you want to uh, use interfaces and inject things where you can and uh, you know keep everything as as loosely coupled as possible so I think you know the software is software and mm-hmm. blazer doesn't while blazer lets you do it the easy way it certainly doesn't force you to a lot of the examples I've seen are the counter click example where right. one where one client clicks and then increments and, and refreshes and do, does all the things sure uh, there's some chat examples the oh, yeah. there's the Blazing Pizza example, which I think is a little bit more involved and shows a little bit more functionality and a little bit more idea of a more fully featured application. When do we choose Blazor? Is is Blazor now the choice for application development? And if so, do you do you go Wasm? Do you go Blazor Server? Like, what are the the caveats or or what are the decision points? Yeah, what's the decision tree around that? Yeah, good question. Well, first of all, for me, if I'm doing any kind of greenfield web application now, Blazor is what I choose. Whether it's WebAssembly or Blazor Server, that's what I choose. Just because I'm the most productive in it and I've exhausted like all of the points of it where you can make these decisions and, and, and have now a built-up library of tools that I can go and use. But um, I think that there, the reason that you would use Blazor Server, and I'm hoping that everybody knows the difference, Blazor Server is run all the code runs on the server and the magic happens with a built-in signal r hub and a really really efficient compressed you know message packed binary format that happens between your browser and the server for ui changes it's really efficient like i've tried doing what blazor server does with my own api and you know, using compression and using all this stuff, and it's nowhere near as fast as the voodoo that these guys are doing. Like it's really good. So with Blazor Server, the benefit is you, you you load quickly, right? It's great for small clients that are don't have a lot of memory because it doesn't use a whole lot of memory. It basically just keeps what you see uh, HTML on the screen, and when things change, it ships off commands over signal R to the server, server runs the code, keeps a, uh, a DOM graph in memory for each user, applies the changes on the server, sees what that diff is, and then sends messages back to the client to say, uh, update this div with this and update that span with that. And then it just magically happens. So it's like the best of the plumbing that you've ever done with your basic JavaScript infrastructure around APIs, but that's all off the table. Like that is all done. So um, Blazor Server is good if you have up to maybe 15,000, 20,000 customers that might be using it at the same time. You can jack up an Azure app service, you know, with like 14 gigs of RAM and four processors. And that's going to be able to handle that many consecutive clients before you start losing time, you know, before the uh, latency becomes an issue. And they've done, they've proven that with tests that they've done. Blazor WebAssembly, on the other hand, has the benefit of running in the browser, but you have to download it, right? And you can do lazy loading and you can do um, virtualization of data and all that, and you can do caching and all that, but it has to get there, you know? Hmm sooner or later. So there is that hit. Also, Blazor 
WASM doesn't, you might think that it just compiles everything to WebAssembly and then shifts it down to the browser, but that's not what happens. The only thing that's compiled to WebAssembly native is the CLR. So the runtime is binary, and then it's doing an interpretation of all those assemblies that you're loading up. So it is, you know, it's it's slower for the most part than JavaScript is right now. But in .NET 6 time, right, there's going to be a, the ahead of time compilation feature, which means that, okay, you might have some, uh, you don't get the, the, the CLR per se, but everything's pre-compiled and it's just going to, it's going to run much more quickly. Um, the benefit of WebAssembly, of course, is that you don't need a server. So that means everything can be shipped off to uh, a CDN content delivery network and it can go far and wide and you can have bazillions of users and, uh, and you can manage your own API calls however you want with mm. the traditional means of scaling APIs, right? So it is a trade-off, but what's cool is that, first of all, it's still evolving. Like .NET 6, I think, is when WebAssembly becomes like, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but for now, you know, you can use Blazor Server, and then when you're ready for WebAssembly, if you're ready for WebAssembly, those components, you can take all the components that you have, turn them into a Razor class library, and that same code can be used in WebAssembly. So it's, it's a, I, and, and I got to say that I like the Blazor component model, programming against it with events and, you know, and updates just as much as I like the fact that it runs in the browser. Hmm. I love the component model. I like the component model better than writing regular.net in XAML or whatever. It's so much cleaner and so much less verbose. So I've been uh, doing DevOps for the last three years, so I'm not I, I haven't been really able to play with uh, Blazor too much uh, other than what we've done on our live streams. Uh, is there any time when you would use both of these two or could you use uh, these two models, both the server side and the, and the client side? Well, you kind of do have to choose a horse, mm. right? But um, I showed in, a, in, a, in an episode of Blazor Train called Synchronicity 5.0 how you can uh, build both a WebAssembly application and a, and a Blazor server application from the same code base at the, and use them at the same time. Essentially, your server looks into, it has a reference to your, your client project and uses the components from that, but on the server. And so you can do a, uh, you know, have both of those browsers up at the same time if you go into your solution properties and use multiple startups projects. And so now you've got essentially two browsers that come up. One is running on the client, one's on the server, but it's the same code. So while you don't want to use both at the same time because you really have to choose, you can put off that decision until you're sure how your application performs in both hosting environments. So that's the value of, of something like that. I wonder if you could even use that for like like an A-B testing or uh, even like a if you're like you're talking about where your server is getting too much load or something like that, um, maybe uh, load balance to the client side uh, rendering or something like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a way that you can test both environments and see which holds up better, see which your customers prefer better. 
Very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly disappointed with with all of that because I there was a demo that uh, Steve Sanderson gave. Uh, it was a while ago now, two two and a half years, something like that. And he actually showed the uh, server side generating the initial page load and then passing it off to WebAssembly. But he did like some kind of, you know, only Steve Sanderson can do this hack in the demo. And then and then yeah. they didn't they didn't move forward with that idea, or at least uh, not to the point where they've pushed it out to the to the public. I was kind of sad that they haven't haven't gotten that out yet. So I think what you're talking about, I experienced myself. Um, the original episode where I showed that was just called Synchronicity. And it was essentially the Steve Sanderson hack that he showed at NDC. And the whole idea is, is you add a reference to the client project from the server project, and then you change the app on the server to be the client project app. And then everything just magically worked. And then if you tried that same thing in .NET 5, it didn't work. Because of the way that scope CSS and scope JavaScript work. So that sort of caused that not to work in that way. But of course, Steve Sanderson is, is a genius. And, you know, I emailed him and said, hey, man, how do I fix this? He's like, oh, you just do this. So I have the fix. And that's in synchronicity. Uh, five. So there is a workaround. Okay, I will have to check that out. But to be fair, Steve Sanderson is about three to five years ahead of all of us. So <laughs> we're, we'll we'll catch up to him eventually. And the nicest guy you'll ever meet. If you see him at a conference, you walk up to him, you'll be like, ah, oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't, you're awesome. And he'll just go, thanks. And you mentioned the the latest and greatest bits coming in .NET 6. Hopefully, we're still on track for, for everything that we want in November. I think Rich Lander published on the, uh, the .NET blog, recording this at the end of March. I think he published it mid-March, um, the Preview 2 for .NET 6. Do you know if there are any Blazor bits that they've released in Preview 2 already? Uh, I haven't been paying attention, actually, no, because it's, uh, it's going to be so touchy for a while that you know i just kind of but uh, but i am watching the repo and every once in a while i poke my head in there and see see where they are but i don't even think is the, is the preview even out yet i i just read that the blog post in in anticipation for for great things coming so yeah i am uh i'm expecting great things i mean the whole you know the coming together of the cross-platform ui is very exciting to me so exciting, in fact. All right, go ahead. Ask me, what's new, Carl? <laughs> what's new, Carl? You got something in well, the works for I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I am working on a new show. .NET Rock's not going anywhere. Blazor Train's not going anywhere. But what I'm going to do is do a new YouTube show where I'm going to go back and forth between Blazor Train and this new show. And this one is all about .NET. And it's all about general .NET stuff, starting with .NET 5, because that's where we are now, moving ahead to .NET 6. We don't have to, we can leave all the old stuff behind. I'm not interested in, you know, <laughs> old stuff. This is all new. And it's called The .NET Show. So by now you should go to the .NET Show.com and it's T-H-E-D-O-T-N-E-T-S-H-O-W.com. 
However, for you guys right now, since that's not available yet, you can go to the.net show.azurewebsites.net. Go ahead. Just go take a look at my intro. And while you're doing that, I'll just tell you that I'm, I'm really starting with a focus on Xamarin Forms mm. because I think people need to know that Xamarin Forms is the basis of Maui, you know, the, mm-hmm. new, the new hotness coming in November, and it's not going away. Um, .NET Forms is not going away. It's just evolving, and they're promising that if you stay with .NET, uh, stay with Xamarin Forms right now, and when Maui is here, you'll be able to migrate your applications seamlessly. We've mentioned Blazor Train a time or two. Uh, do you want to go into a little bit of detail for the the audience here? Sure, happy to. So uh, it started out where. You know, I I got on the Blazor bandwagon pretty early on, and I knew that people that listen to my show and that people who are interested in, you know, rapid development with .NET would be interested in it. So I learned it. I started teaching classes. I dove right in. I started writing applications that used it. And then I was at a conference a couple of few years ago. In Poland, I think, and I ran into the Dev Express guys who are friends of mine, you know, the booth guys we hang out. And they said, Hey, you know, maybe Blazer's pretty cool, isn't it? We're doing some Blazer stuff. Maybe you'd like to do a road trip, a road trip. And I said, Well, I don't know anything about your Blazer stuff. He goes, No, no, not our stuff. Just Blazer. Just go talk about Blazer. What's in the box? And I said, Well, yeah, I'll do that. So we planned and we we got a little, you know. SUV and we drove all over the United States and flew around <laughs> and and went to all these places and we were like in our I don't know a seventh or eighth venue and we were going to come to St. Pete remember yep yep yeah yep. we had and then, scheduled then COVID <laughs> it started we were I think we were in Portland or maybe we we're in Los Angeles and the driver started getting a low grade fever I think it was Portland. And we're and we were headed to Seattle, and Seattle had an outbreak, and we we're like, no, we we can't do this, so we canceled the rest of the tour. And I came home after quarantining myself in a hotel room in Portland for a week, a week and a half. I finally came home, and um, I decided to start doing the Blazer Desk Show. So we morphed it into, let's do the same content that we're doing, but we'll do it online and we'll repeat it so that people with different schedules or whatever. And that didn't make too much sense because it was cluttering up DevExpress's video feed with the same content over and over again. So I said, all right, let's make a a, a weekly, like a serial, you know, where we just take these bite-sized topics and tackle them one at a time so somebody can come and see a menu of the topics they want. And just go right in. So that's that's that became Blazor Train. So I think we're forty some odd episodes in right now. Yeah, there's quite a few episodes. Yeah. So with .NET Rocks, Blazor Train, and now this this new web show, where do you get the extra hours that the rest of us don't <laughs> don't have? <sighs> I'm a lucky mofo. I just am. People actually pay me to do this research and make this content. And I can't, you know, it's just a a luxury to be able to do that. I mean, I can take a day, two days, and just focus on researching my topic and getting a demo app that is killer, you know, and then I can record it and then, you know, show it and all that stuff. 
Um, I have a lot of friends in the industry, so I can reach out and find people who are doing things that are cool, that are beyond my expertise and bring them on. Um, so, so again, I, I just feel very lucky. I, I, I do have customers, like I do have projects that I work on, but they're also watching Blazer Train and learning from it and, and picking the code and pulling it into their projects. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it just works out. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm very lucky. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the .NET show and especially to getting back into Xamarin Forms and, you know, then into Maui later. One thing that's really cool is that my sponsor, DevExpress, just made all their Xamarin Forms controls free. Oh, just just download them. Yeah. Right. So now there's like really no excuse not to do it. And, and here's the thing about Xamarin Forms. Like I was doing it in 2014 when it was really early, you know, and hard. And I think a lot of people got put off by the same kind of problems with SDKs and, um, you know, stuff being out of sync. And it wasn't the best experience for a long time. And then it just got a lot better. And uh, it, today, it's, very, it's a very different experience of building for Xamarin Forms than it was back then, even just a couple of years ago. It's a very different experience. It's really pleasurable. So I can't wait to dive into that. I've already written music to code by as a Xamarin Forms app. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably going to be my first real demo. <laughs> Do you have any resources that you might point our listeners to who are trying to get into uh, Blazor or um, Xamarin Forms? Uh, where, where should they start? All right. Well, um, for, for Blazor, look for the repo Awesome Blazor. Mm. So this is a list of every single community and commercial project there is out there for Blazor developers. It's a great resource. Chris Sainty does a lot of great controls and blog posts and amazing stuff. Blazor Train, of course, is a good one. Um, Xamarin Forms, James Montemagno has written a lot of great components, and he is one of the guys on the team that uh, is you know, the sort of evangelist for Xamarin Forms. So look for his controls. But if you just Google, you know, community Xamarin Forms controls, you're going to find a lot of stuff. The problem is, and I had the same problem with Blazor once Blazor went mainstream, is that there was a whole lot of blog posts and stuff that were all on previews and old bits and things that were completely irrelevant and just should be erased. It should just be gone from Google. But so what my advice is, is when you're searching for things, Use the date feature of the search engine so that you're not getting old stuff. Don't waste your time. I've gone through so many things. That, oh, that's really cool. No, the code doesn't work anymore. Blazor was like that. Xamarin is like that. So it's a bit of a swamp out there as far as that kind of stuff goes. What has been helpful in your career that you might uh, share with those just getting started or those maybe looking to level up their own careers? Surround yourself with really smart people. It's that simple. Find a Richard Campbell. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, that's that's really it. I mean, f- surround yourself with people that that you can learn from, and that are you know nice enough to take time to at least you know send you a link somewhere that you can't find. Learn how to use the search engines effectively. Uh, but uh, but I think surrounding yourself with smart people is a really good idea in general. Awesome. So in 
on that note, uh, where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with uh, what you're working on? Uh, my Twitter is at Carl Franklin. Uh, that's probably a really good place to start because everything that I do that's of any consequence, I, I talk about on Twitter. Well, Carl, this has really been great. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Sure. It's been my pleasure. It's great talking to you guys. That was Carl Franklin. Carl is executive vice president of AppVNext, a software development firm focused on modern methodologies and technologies. Carl is a 20-plus year veteran of the software industry, co-host and founder of .NET Rocks, the first most widely listened to podcast for .NET developers. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 